welcome to the We Talk Health podcast, the official podcast for West Tennessee Healthcare. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to replace any medical advice. Always follow your medical professional's advice and direction. Nothing said in this podcast is intended to supersede or supplement the direction of your medical caretakers. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at wetalkhealthpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer any questions you may have. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Health. My name is Will Cashagro, and today we're going to be talking all about pacemakers. Joining me today is Inya Holland and Kirsten Seiler. Both of them are nurse practitioners. Inya is an ACNP, acute care nurse practitioner, and Kirsten is a family nurse practitioner. How are you all today? Doing well. How are Good. You? Thanks for coming in. I know it's early and you guys are taking time from your patients. I appreciate you guys being here. So like I said, we're going to be talking about pacemakers. Pacemakers are something that I am not educated on, so I'm glad we're talking about it. So I guess in in layman's terms, what is a pacemaker? Well, hello. As Will said, my name is Inya, and if you ever see my name spelled, it is spelled E-N-J-A, but the J carries a Y sound. A pacemaker is an electronic cardiac device and it is generally used to provide pacing support for slow heart rates. Okay. From an anatomical standpoint, the electricity in the heart muscle is triggered by a chemical reaction through a node called the sinus node, S-I-N-U-S. Okay. And that node generally creates a heart rate of 60 to 100. That node fires electricity through the top part of the heart called the atria both chambers being the right and the left. And once the electricity passes, the heart muscle squeezes at the top. That electricity then travels to a secondary node called the AV, A atria V ventricular node. The electricity triggers the ventricles to squeeze. The electricity in the heart is like the gas in the bus. You okay. Got a brand new bus, and the most elementary reason why it won't run is because there's no gas. So the electricity in the heart tells the muscle to squeeze. Gotcha. Give us a pulse. Okay. Okay. When the nodes become diseased uh, over time, deterioration, coronary disease, heart failure, they create slower heart rates. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, people become symptomatic, shortness of breath, fatigue, lightheaded, dizzy, may pass out. Uh, We evaluate heart rates with halters or... Holter monitors, 24-hour cardiac monitor, or an event monitor where patients feel symptoms, they click a button, and we try to record their heart rate Mm -hmm. and correlate the symptoms with their heart rate. Some of those results may yield slower heart rates, pauses in the heart rate, so therefore they meet criteria for a pacemaker. Okay. What heart rhythms do pacemakers treat? Typically bradycardia, which is a slower heart rate, symptomatic bradycardia, and that kind of gets in the diagnosis heading of sick sinus syndrome, Okay. where that sinus node is not able to create a heart rate 60 to 100. So therefore, that node needs a little help to make the chamber squeeze properly, or the electricity to tell the chambers to squeeze. Gotcha. And there's a secondary heart rhythm in the AFib world, Mm -hmm. atrial fibrillation, Mm -hmm where the treatment would be for a fast heart rate to give medication to slow the heart rate down. Okay. When you give that medication, you slow the heart rate down too much. 
So the heart rate's too slow, patients feel symptomatic, fatigued, short of breath, lightheaded, dizzy, may pass out. So therefore, you take the medicine away, mm -hmm. their heart rate gets better, but then they go back in the AFib and it speeds up again. So the pendulum in that syndrome swings all over the place. So we need the pacemaker to support the slower heart rate, and then we give medication to slow it down. Gotcha. Okay. So that syndrome is called tachybrady syndrome, most often related to AFib. Gotcha. What is the procedure like of receiving a pacemaker? Patients will be taken to the EP lab. And the pacemaker, a leaded system pacemaker, has a battery. It's about an inch, inch by an inch. Yeah, about. Okay, it's inch and a thin. half. It's very thin, a couple millimeters thin. Usually it's implanted in the left upper chest. Typically, most patients have two leads, one to the top of the heart called the atria, mm -hmm. and one to the bottom of the heart called the ventricle. And the pacing battery signals the leads to send electricity to make the heart pace, make the heart sense that it got an electrical trigger to squeeze. In the EP lab, usually you're heavily sedated, not all the time given a general anesthesia. And the procedure involves fluoroscopy. Yeah, x-ray. X-ray. Okay. The leads are guided through veins within the heart system to implant in the top right chamber and then the bottom right chamber. Some people may require one lead in the bottom chamber. Some may require a three-lead system, mm -hmm. which will be one lead at the top in the right atria, one lead in the right ventricle, and one lead in the left ventricle. So what determines who gets what kind of system? If a patient has difficulty slowing their heart rate in mm -hmm. atrial fibrillation, you know, we're given lots of medications to slow the heart rate down. Heart rates are 120, 130, 140, can't slow them down. There is a procedure called an AV node ablation. Okay. Atrioventricular ablation, where that is burned. So therefore, the top of the heart and the bottom of the heart no longer communicate. In that sense... Most patients who receive that procedure uh, as a last ditch for their atrial fibrillation, they get the three-leaded system. Gotcha. Two okay. ventricular leads and one atrial lead. You said that there are some that are leaded. Are there any without leads or wires? There is a new system called a MICRA, M-I-C-R-A, and it is a non-leaded system. It typically is implanted, what we call transvenous, mm -hmm. through the groin and is emplaced into the right ventricle to provide ventricular pacing. People who meet criteria for that device typically have bradycardia. They don't require pacing for the sinus node in the top part of the heart. And sometimes we opt to give those if people have had a history of really bad infections, skin infections mm -hmm. in their chest where they couldn't. There are no places to put a device on their chest. So how long do pacemakers last? And how do you change the battery? How often do you have to change the battery? Generally, pacemakers last uh, for about 10 to 12 years. Okay. Upon changing a pacemaker battery, you would have to go back to the procedure lab, and the original incision would be opened again, and that old battery removed, disconnected from the leads, and then a new battery implanted. The same incision would be stitch closed, steer mm -hmm. strip closed, and patients would be discharged. Most often, if the leads are not manipulated on a generator or battery change out, then there's no restrictions. However, upon implantation, 
because the leads are new and they can be dislodged very easily, mm-hmm. the operative arm, whether it's put on the left side or the right side of the chest, that arm has to be uh, immobilized or not raised above the head for about six weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. And so it takes about three months completely for the whole system to heal, what we call lead maturity. But within six weeks, we ask patients not to raise their arm above their head on the side of the chest where the device is. Because that could, like, dislodge it from yes. where it is? Okay. Uh-huh. That gotcha. could dislodge the leads. Gotcha. I know you said you really can't hold your arm up. What other activities can I or can I not do after I have a pacemaker put in? In the six weeks, you know, you can raise... Uh, Usually I tell patients they can use their elbow to their hand Mm -hmm. and maybe do like little chicken wing exercises so the shoulder doesn't get frozen, but definitely not raise the hand above the shoulder. Uh, One thing is to avoid magnetic fields. Okay. And people always ask about microwaves. Microwaves are okay. I was about to ask about that because I heard. An arm's width of distance, you know, is always safe. Mm Mm-hmm. One thing now is cell phones. Mm -hmm. Patients who are completely pacemaker dependent, that means that if we pause the pacemaker for whatever reason, their heart wouldn't beat. So therefore, every pulse that's generated would be from the pacemaker. Oh, wow. So those individuals need to be careful with using smartphones because of the magnetic field. Mm -hmm. They could be around, generated. It would tell the pacemaker not to work. Really? In that situation, we ask patients to use the cell phone, smartphone, on the opposite the side of the mm-hmm. pacemaker. So if the pacemaker's on the left chest, they use the smartphone on the right side, whether it be in the pocket, talking on the phone, but never store the phone on the side of the device. And that's where most pockets on shirts are. Oh, yeah, that's true. Side. That's a good point. And that's where most devices are. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You never would have thought of smartphone. Right. Could- could do something that could really hurt your health if you have a pacemaker. So what about an MRI? Am I able to have an MRI if I have a pacemaker? MRIs, compatibly safe devices, have been used for maybe the past five, six years at least. And it depends on how old the battery is and the leads. So if a patient has leads from like the 1990s, then they're not eligible for an MRI. Gotcha. Because okay. Because the leads aren't compatible, but most of the devices now, the leads are compatible, mm-hmm. and the battery itself. At implantation, the patient would know that they have an MRI compatible device with an ID card. Okay. And typically, if you're going to that MRI, the people administering it will be checking that information out, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll have a device rep come over just to make sure no settings were erased on the device or changed. Mm-hmm. That way. If they were, they can put them back. You mentioned that if people have had leads put in in the 90s, they cannot have an MRI. Is it common practice or does it ever happen where people have those leads replaced with leads that can have an MRI? Is that something that happens or is that once you have leads, you're pretty much set with those? Very rarely because the leads become scarred in the tissue of the muscle and by removing the leads have the potential to damage the vessel where the leads are because of scarring. Mm-hmm. Sometimes leads do have to be removed because of infection. Okay. But it's really uncommon to just change the leads out so a patient can have an MRI compatible device. Gotcha. Okay. It's more common if a lead is bad to just add a new one 
without taking out the old one. So oh, sometimes okay. patients have abandoned leads, so they can just have one that's there. It's not even hooked to the device, mm-hmm. but then they get a new lead right beside it. Gotcha. So, okay. But taking the lead out can sometimes be very dangerous because it is into that heart muscle. Right. Hopefully I never have to deal with this, but say I end up having to have a pacemaker put in. What is my life going to look like? Hopefully life will be better because your heart rate has stable pacing support. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have patients who live normal lives. They're pacemaker dependent. They're functioning citizens. They play sports. They run businesses. Their life is no different if I didn't have a pacemaker. Right. Okay. So, you know, always with a new implant, I always try to get patients to get comfortable with their device mm-hmm. and kind of as a joke I always say give them a name because you're <laughs> going to be best buddies right. for lifelong it's like those families who don't want a dog and then right. they name it and they fall in love with it your new right. sidekick yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is your friend your friend is here to help you mm-hmm. we're going to check your friend over the time you know once you kind of get over having had the procedure and all the immobilization restrictions. You know, you kind of get in your comfort zone mm-hmm. once the wound is healed. But yeah, people live normal, productive lives Good. with a pacemaker. Well, and typically, if you get to the point of needing a pacemaker, your life was pretty limited before that. So most people feel a whole lot better. A lot better, right? That's after awesome. getting the device, they notice an improvement in their life, and mm-hmm. these are only made to enable them. So right. Not disabled. Right. Well, I've learned a lot about pacemakers. If you have any additional questions, feel free to give the Heart Rhythm Clinic a call at 731-541-3310. Thank you guys so much for coming in today. And this has been another episode of We Talk Health.